Hello, uh, welcome back to Raw Sports Interviews uh, with myself, Raw 1251AM's Head of Sport, uh, Josh Sim, the University of Warwick's uh, award-winning student radio station. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're watching this or if you're listening to this on our podcast feed, thank you so much for listening to this. Um, for those who are watching the YouTube video in the video description, there's a link to all of our social media. Um, where you know we we put out regular content, uh, regular shows, be it on football, be it on a numerous wide range of sports, and also talking to numerous people in the sports media industry, uh, be it journalists, um, be it uh, athletes themselves, be it even um, athletes on our very student campus as well at Warwick. So uh, today, um, I'm very excited to have uh, to introduce my guest um, who has. Uh, commentated uh, on match of the day for BT Sport on uh, numerous games, Champions League games, Premier League, Bundesliga. He's commentated on a wide array of, of, of uh, football games in particular. So without further ado, um, introduce Dan O'Hagan. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Hi, Josh. A real pleasure to be here with you. Absolutely. Um, I, As we were talking beforehand, I understand this is... Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday and obviously Champions League happens in the midweek and um, you've got a couple of games coming up uh, that you're currently in pr preparation for. Yeah, uh, Tuesday uh, today, so Wednesday I've got uh, Club Brugge versus uh, Zenit. They're, they're my notes for that game uh, for Wednesday. And then for Thursday we've got Europa League Red Star against Hoffenheim. Um, again, um, both world feed, but we'll go out on BT Sport, I think, in the UK as well. Um, so yeah, busy week. So um, it's been a very busy season, which we wouldn't have thought maybe a few months ago, given what we've gone through in lockdown and the end of last season. But um, yeah, it's been it's been good for us this season. I think as freelance commentators. Yeah, actually, there's a, there's a, quite a few questions I guess to unpack from from that kind of opening spiel you gave there. I mean, obviously, it, it, the commentators aren't able to travel to games now, and it's it, that it, that has been a big change. Um, so, but it, the kind of season being uh, kind of shrunk down in terms of days between matches and stuff, does that mean there's more work uh, for you guys um, with, you know, broadcasters trying to keep up with the, you know, with the demand for games and, um, and obviously, you know, needing to get um, games on, on broadcast? Does that mean you guys have been given more work as well as a result of this? Yeah, in a way, I think for some, um, others haven't been quite so lucky. Um, I work on the Bundesliga. That came back end of May. So we were back after a two-month break. I then did a lot of work on the Chinese Super League, which was, I think we played games every five days across the group stage. So that was really busy as well. Then obviously Bundesliga starts again, Europa League, Champions League, EFL. Um, so it's been busy. But um, we know that we were lucky to get the Bundesliga back when we did because a lot of guys in my profession didn't get work back um, quickly. And uh, one or two, I know, are still funny. It's tough to, to, to find games because um, of the way things have gone and the way um, games are being spaced out now. So I've been very lucky. Others haven't. Um, so, yeah, I'm very mindful of the fact that um, while I've had a bit of work in the last uh, few months, lots of friends of mine haven't been quite so fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. And I sort of mentioned there that, you know, Com uh, there's been obviously the pandemic has forced numerous changes upon commentators at the moment so I guess when I when I talk about you know commentators not being able to travel to games has that been the biggest and most significant change to to the, the job uh, as a result of the pandemic or, or has it been uh, any other anything else that I've missed uh, in terms of big things that have sort of changed 
Well, yes and no in that um, these days, a lot of games were done from studios anyway, so that's not really changed too much. Um, but Bundesliga, we, we'd fly to Cologne and do our games from a studio in Cologne or for the big games in the stadiums at Dortmund and at Bayern. Uh, we can't do that now. So we now do the German league commentaries from the UK um, for the time being. Another change too is that you can see I'm using here my own microphone. Uh, we're all going out now and bought our own mics and our own equipment. So we're now almost like tra traveling studios um, to kind of cut down on sharing with, with, with other people. So we've been very mindful, I think, in terms of making ourselves as commentators as, as safe and as COVID secure as we can in terms now of taking our own kit to, to jobs and uh, when we can work from home. So, for example, I did the, the, the German Cup first round in September highlights of, of games from my living room. And as of next month, the Bundesliga, we're going to have new gear to do live commentary from home uh, using a mix of, uh, of Wi-Fi and 4G. Uh, so I know BT have, have, have done games from home now ever since uh, the German games re restarted in, in May. So it's all changing that now. I think we're finding ways of, of ab adapting um, to, to the situation we've been faced with because you know, we've now shown that we can broadcast remotely. We've had presenters hosting shows from home. Um, I've got a friend who who, who directs from home. Um, others, as I say, we now commentate from home on some occasions. So it's changed so much. Um, ideally, we'll go back to the old way where we see all, all our friends at different workplaces and we, we kind of mix again. But for the time being, uh, football broadcasting has been done a certain way, a different way. And right now it's working okay. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose it's it's sort of um, on a micro scale. We, I mean, certainly from my perspective as a student radio presenter, it's been it's been different as well. I, I mean, I've like you, I've had to buy a podcast mic, and I've got the exact you know, same mic at home. Yeah, I, yeah. I saw it's it's sort of one of the industry kind of standard ones, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, like like I mean, as we are doing this from home, like I like all our shows have been doing from home. Obviously, we'd love to be in a radio studio doing this, but um, yeah, it is sort of how the industry has changed and that in effect, I guess for, I mean, speaking from our point of view, selfishly, it sort of benefited us doing interviews with people from home who are, normally wouldn't be able to come to the, the radio studio um, in person. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's certainly changed, um, changed a lot. And um, I mean, g going, moving on to, I guess, the beginning of your career as a commentator, I mean, what was it about common football? Uh, what was it about commentary in that, you know, attracted you in the first place as opposed to, I mean, obviously the football, the media industries, especially in sports, it's so kind of diverse and there's so many different pathways. What was it about commentary that um, that stuck out, stuck out to you that made you think I want to do this as a, as a career? I think as a young boy, um, I listened to a lot of radio. So back then it was Radio 2 had all, all the sport. Then obviously Radio 5 came along. Um, so I would listen to commentators like... Brian Butler, like uh, Peter Jones, uh, Alan Green, Mike Ingham. And I thought, yeah, that's a great job. I mean, I, I played football. I was okay, but I wasn't good enough to make a living out of it. So this is the next best thing. So at school, I was okay at English. I, I took degrees and, 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 and A-levels that were geared towards journalism. Um, so, yeah, and, and I, I was very lucky that um, I, I was at Bournemouth doing uh, multimedia journalism. And um, one day on our, our course notice board, someone had pinned up a, um, a sheet with a competition that Five Live were running to find that year's young commentator. And you had to record yourself uh, commentating off the TV on the last five minutes of that year's FA Cup final, which was Middlesbrough-Chelsea. 
um, in 97. I entered it and I won it. And that, because that was on my CV, then that opened doors. So I was told my first job at MUTV in Manchester that the reason I got the job was because my CV had that one thing on it, which made mine different to the next person's. Um, so when people say to me, you know, what advice can you give? I always say the same thing. Make sure that your CV is different. Make sure yours has that one thing on it. The next person's doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it remains a very competitive industry. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I totally uh, would agree with the advice you've 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 outlined there. Um, do you remember sort of the first do you remember what your first game was commentating live and sort of that experience? And I guess it's sort of similar to when I started doing these radio shows, you sort of, you know, you're fumbling for the right words, you're sort of finding a style that you know, finding your own style and your own voice. Um, do you remember what that experience was like? Well, not really commentary, but the first game I reported on was actually from Wembley. It was the uh, 98 Auto Windscreens final, which was Bournemouth against Grimsby, because I was doing some work experience then for uh, local radio in Bournemouth. So I was doing kind of phone updates during the match. Commentary-wise, um, it was a very unglamorous game. It was a reserve team game. Uh, Man United versus Barnsley from Berry. Uh, in late 99, it would have been. Um, live on METV with obviously a tiny audience back then. Uh, code commentary with, I think, Lou Macari alongside me. And uh, and yeah, I mean, listen back now, and even stuff I, I did five years ago, I cringe. So luckily I don't have a recording of that game anymore. But um, yeah, we all start somewhere. And um, MUTV was a great place to learn because it was a very small operation then. It's a bit bigger now. But I joined just after, I think the first year after they'd started in uh, 99. And I came in and, um, yeah, I think within the first month I'd done commentary, reporting, presenting, floor managing, editing. You kind of muck in because it's a small operation. So within a few weeks and months, I'd done the whole lot. So I could then pick and choose what I want. I thought commentary is what I want to lean towards more now. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was certainly a great place to learn. And that's to say, don't be afraid of going somewhere where it seems like a small company, a small station, a small operation, because those are the places where you will get a chance. Yeah, absolutely. And do you feel, I mean, you listed the sort of skill set and the skills that you learned at MUTV. Um, do you feel like that helps having sort of a diverse skill set and being able to prove that you are not a, not only able to kind of work in front of the camera but as well as behind or in well in front of you know on air as well as uh, off air in terms of the editing and sort of behind the scenes stuff as well yeah i think you have to go there too with an open mind and be prepared to kind of almost be like a sponge and soak up information and experience being i was lucky to work there with them um, steve bow was the number one commentator there at me to be obviously now does match of the day and, and a whole host of things and and to, to watch and learn from steve i remember um, he was doing a, a reserve game at bradford and um, I was there to kind of observe or, or almost to shadow him. And uh, at one point, the cameras all went down. And in the blink of an eye, he changed from TV commentary to radio commentary really, really quickly. And that impressed me so much that on air, you don't get phased. You just go into that mode all of a sudden, right, okay, I'm going to go into a different kind of commentary now because we've lost our cameras. So that really made a big impression on me. Um, and you do kind of learn, and as I say, you become a sponge, and the, the longer I've gone on, the less things phase me. So, for example, 
I did a game for Eurosport. This is going back about 10 or 12, maybe 12 or 15 years. It was a World Cup qualifier. It was uh, North Korea versus Iran. So two teams that, you know, no one's really familiar with. Um, I'd done my homework, but, to, you know, not maybe to the level I would do it now. So I had some idea who the players were. And um, normally before the game, you'll get emailed or, or, or fax back then a team sheet. This never arrived. So there I am on air doing two teams, not knowing who was playing. Um, and we got through it because I'd done enough homework to recognize most players. Luckily, no, no goals were scored in those first minutes before we got, got the team sheet. Um, so, yeah, you kind of learn as well that um, on air, just stay calm. Don't let anything phase you. At first, that's difficult. But the more you do television, the more you do football commentary, certainly, the more you appreciate that anything can happen. Quite often it does. And it's how you respond to it. Yeah. And you mentioned sort of, you mentioned that I don't know how Steve went from TV to radio commentary in that moment. I, I feel like that'd be a useful thing to explain the difference because obviously, you know, to the to the casual viewer, both both forms of commentary, but obviously they are different formats and there's obviously, there are different skills involved, obviously with the visual and just having the audio as well. So do you mind just explaining the differences between the two and why it's, it's sort of, there are differences in between the two kind of mediums in terms of commentary? Yeah, I mean, basics in radio, you, you, you talk more because people can't see the game. So you're saying, you know, the right back's on the ball on the right-hand side. He passes into the centre circle. You're being more discreet. You know, you're actually saying what's happening um, on the field. Whereas TV, you let the pictures breathe. Now, I, I did my first radio game in September um, for, I think, 10 years. And I found going back really, really difficult um, because you're so used to letting the pictures breathe and having that backup of knowing the viewer can see what's happening anyway. So you don't have to explain. Uh, and by contrast, I think with TV as well, it's very easy to sometimes talk too much. Um, and you have to trust the pictures sometimes. So the difference between TV and radio commentary is it's bigger than I, I realized, having gone back to radio and did a game, as I say, a few weeks ago. Um, and it is certainly, um, yeah, there's a huge difference, which, you know, on first kind of thoughts, you wouldn't think there is. But there is, you know, it's um, it's like night and day, um, the two skill sets required. Yeah, absolutely. And um, obviously, you know, an, an overlapping feature in both is the preparation beforehand in terms of players and uh, name pronunciations. I believe Adam Summerton indeed recently put up a kind of picture on Twitter on his notes for, for uh, I think it was a Europa League game, just the amount of preparation and goes into kind of names and pronunciations and, you know, maybe a few facts about their form, a few facts about a few comments from them as well. Bef I mean, how, when do you start, I guess, obviously, you, especially in this time period, you're kind of getting, you, I mean, you are fortunate enough to kind of be getting games kind of left, right and centre kind of at short notice. So how, uh, how, how does the preparation work in terms of how and how, how far back do you kind of start before a game and then you know as 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 the game kind of approaches does that kind of ramp up a bit in terms of intensity in terms of um, focus as well i think for me a game ideally you'll get at least a day or, or a day and a half's prep into each game that's not always possible if you have a run like i had in october and november where all these chinese matches came at the same time as europa league and bundesliga uh, champions league so sometimes you do have to um, maybe be a bit more brief than you'd like to be in terms of your prep, but never, I never cut corners um, because you don't want to feel naked. Um, the worst thing is to go on air 
and something happens and you can't respond because you weren't prepared for that eventuality. Um, so these days, um, I'd like to um, prep a game maybe two days in advance. And the prep takes two stages. And first of all, I will do the sheet. I mean, th those are the, the two squads. So those are the players who can play, will play, have a chance of playing. Um, and that will have on it um, their, their, their stats for the season. So how many goals, assists, uh, yellow cards, uh, and then any kind of key facts about the game. So have they got history against the team they're playing? Have they played with anyone on that team? Were they former teammates with? Um, have they ever scored a hat trick? Just those little things. And then having done all that, you will then do the team stats. So you look at runs of form, um, the significance of the match, what that would mean to their league position um, and the history. Um, and also then you look at any news lines. So you'll trawl these days. It's easy, obviously, with the internet. You'll trawl, for example, today I've been looking at the local papers um, around Hoffenheim's team and see what they're saying about uh, about the, the game against Red Star at the weekend. Uh, so sorry, on, on Thursday. So you cover all bases you can. Obviously, you can't prepare for everything, but you try and make sure that nothing can happen that you're not in some way prepared for. And as I say, it's that feeling of being naked on air that I think we all we all dread. Um, I'll, I'll tell you now, all commentators have the same anxiety dream. Um, takes various forms. We all, we all have it. And that is that we're not prepared in some way for a game. Either we go to the wrong stadium or we can't get there in time or we get all of our words wrong. We get the teams wrong. We all have this anxiety dream because we want to do a great job and uh, make the job as, as good as we possibly can do. And um, yeah, I think all the guys I know in the business all take preparation extremely seriously. And um, as I say, with the internet, internet now, it's, it's far more easy than it was maybe 15 years ago when you know you couldn't find the stuff out. Uh, these days, I can you can give me any league, any team, and I'll be able to be prepped up within a couple of days on on all the players involved because the internet makes it so much more easy now. But I'm sure you go back 20 years and that wasn't the case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's it's I mean, it's really interesting to me about how, you know, yes, you have the Internet. But a lot of from what it look from what it looks like, and I might be wrong in saying this, but a lot of commentators tend to take their notes, write their notes by hand. And they find and obviously in Mark and all that. Um, is that and I'm, I'm aware this is sort of a smallish question, but is that is that because for simple reasons the internet's not great up in the commentary gantry or is there or is there sort of like a learning thing like a memory thing of writing it down on paper um as 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 compared to like typing it up on a, on a word document or something like that for me that's exactly it um if i write it down the act of writing makes it stick in your mind better um there are others who swear by by typing it on a computer and printing out um, individual players names on on individual labels on, on stickers it's whatever works best for you um i've not met two guys yet who have the same system um so it's what works for you and uh, for me handwriting has worked for the last 20 years um I, I keep saying i will never go to computers but sometimes when i'm really really busy i think oh i could make this so much easier by doing it all on on the laptop um but i've never kind of given in yet um, for example, I mean, trying to think, um, you find that a lot of the younger guys, I mean, I'm 42 now, so I'm one of the older guys these days, but certainly the younger guys do tend to be more kind of computer based. And it's just the kind of old guard who, who, who tend to handwrite now. Um, but I would say it's what works best for you. And if handwriting is the way that makes it stick in your mind, that's the way to do it. 
Um, it's, as I say, no two commentators have the same system. I think that's uh, everyone's minds work differently and um, it's whatever works best for the individual commentator. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, um, I mean, as, as I think we sort of mentioned at the top, our commentators tend to work freelance. I, I don't think it, it, it I, to my knowledge, not it's it, a minority will have maybe a, a contract with a specific broadcaster uh, on for regular for regular basis. Um, so, how I mean, how do you sort of manage being a freelancer and ensure you've got work constantly, um, particularly in in, in in I don't want to call the sports media industry volatile, but that is sort of the word that comes to mind at least because there's so many people who would jump for the, op- the opportunity that you have. Yeah, and also I think you have to be aware that um, these days the rights change hands. So in in years gone by, the BBC would have a certain set of rights, ITV, the, the, the others, uh, and then Sky came in, and then we had Satanta and now BT. Um, so the fact is there are a lot of different companies, and um, there is a lot of, there's more work out there than there used to be because there are so many games get shown with English commentary. Um, but it's certainly not an easy business. I went freelance in 2005, and my first year was challenging. Um, I've been on a contract with ITV Anglia. Back in those days, we had um, live football league rights, um, but then ITV lost those rights. And I found myself with a choice. Do I stay at Anglia TV and focus more on sports presentation and sports news journalism or do i follow my dream and go into commentary full-time which i did um but that first year was tough because you know you, you have to build up a reputation and i was unknown um i'd been doing games for itv and i, I was lucky that itv let me at, at a, a time do the odd shift for, for, for eurosport so i did um the confederations cup in 2003 uh, the women's european championship in 2005 in england and that kind of got me a freelance foot in the door, if you like. So when I went freelance in 05, uh, I got work with Match of the Day. Satanta back then were operational and I did a few games with them. But that first year was tough. But as the years go on, you build up a client base and people move on and they remember you and they say, okay, let's take him in here or let's use her. And So yeah, it, it, it is that thing now where you, you, you it's about making contacts. It's about, and also about doing a decent job because with freelancing you're only one bad job away from not working again so it, it puts the pressure on um so hence why we all prepare crazily and yes. we all try and do the best job we possibly can because we know it's a very competitive business and as i say you're you're one bad game away or one on-air faux pas away from not working again so it's i wouldn't say it's stressful but there is that pressure there which is in the back of your mind um, and I'm lucky that 15 years of freelancing, I've got some great clients, some great friends who who, who will book me um, for um, for various companies. Um, so yeah, but you know, I'm not I'm not ever going to be comfortable and say yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guaranteed work because I'm not because you know, it's a very busy field now. Um, when yeah. I started freelancing, there's maybe 20 commentators, and there's probably 50 now working. Um, so it's a very very competitive market now and uh, that certainly thing gets gets more more competitive year on year yeah absolutely um and i would um i and and certainly you've been lucky enough to commentate on so many amazing matches and, and amazing stadiums i would be remiss not to ask you about any memorable games uh or stadiums that come to mind in terms of uh, your commentary career so um 
yeah, is there a game in particular that you kind of look back on fondly with, or uh, is there a stadium that you're equally as excited to to arrive at um, for a commentary uh, to come to on a game? Well, I'm lucky to have had a World Cup final. I did the 2014 final in the Maracanã, which will take some beating. Um, as an occasion, it wasn't a great game, uh, Germany-Argentina. Um, yeah. That was amazing. Again, the World Cup in 2010, um, especially with you know the, the recent news, to have seen Diego Maradona in the flesh as the coach then for Argentina. I'll never forget that. But certainly in terms of, uh, of club games, I love going to Dortmund. Um, best game I ever saw was Dortmund. Dortmund uh, three, Bayern two in 2018, I think, when Paco Alcacer scored the winning goal from, from two one down. Um, 81,000 people, incredible. Um, in terms of, you know, local interest, home interest, um, I'm a Wolves fan, so to have done Wolves' first European game for 40 years last year against Crusaders was was amazing. So yeah, lots of lots of um, great games. I've been to lots of stadiums, but I've never yet had a day of work when I've not wanted to go to work where I thought, oh, it's you know, I've got to go and work today because it doesn't feel like a job. And that's if you can find yourself a job that doesn't feel like work, then then you must be doing something right. Absolutely. Um, I just have some questions for you as, as the football fan, as the football supporter. I guess were you? Who were your? Who were the players that you kind of loved to watch growing up? Were there was there players that kind of yeah captured your imagination as as a, as a kid um, when watching football? There's probably two. I think as a Wolves fan, obviously Steve Bull was my absolute hero, um, our record goal scorer. Um, he was when I was a kid at school. He was in his pomp. So he had his two 50-goal seasons in the uh, in the fourth and then the third division. And we got into the what is now the championship. And, and yeah, that, that was amazing. So to have seen him play was was amazing. Um, another one was Brian Gunn, because um, at school I was a goalkeeper. And uh, okay. I used to really love Brian Gunn's style of play. And I've since become quite good friends with Brian. And uh, so I always say, I, in the playground, I used to pretend to be you. And he finds that quite, you know quite funny but uh, yeah I think you know so heroes yeah and for me my first world cup was 1990 so I watched that as a what 12 year old boy and you know to watch that team uh, England reach the semi-finals and it, that world cup for me just is magical because that was my first one and um, yeah I think we'll all have our, our own memories and our own first world cups but the first one will always stay with you and for me it was certainly uh, Italia 90. Yeah, from my perspective, it was 2006. And I mean, that headbutt in the final will forever be engraved in my memory because it was such a, it was, yeah, it was for me, it was that moment. I know the Shankly quote of footballs is not really a matter of life or death, but for me, that was the one way it kind of just, yeah, I kind of caught on to the me meaning and how much it meant to so many people. Um, I mean, you mentioned your Wolves fan. Um, I have, I should, I definitely should ask it. It's been a very good season. Obviously, you know, we wish Raul Jimenez the best uh, with, with, um, with, you know, what's, what's going on with him in, in hospital. Um, but it's been a very strong season and you must be pretty uh, happy with how it's gone so far. Well, I think the way the club has developed um, since we were taken over by the Chinese in 2016, was it? Um, at the time, I, was, I, was, I wasn't convinced I'd seen other clubs be taken over and it all went wrong. But Fosun have been phenomenal. Um, I was very much against the decision to replace uh, the manager as well um, with um, Nuno. Um, but he's been incredible. And what he's built there in the space of three years, I first saw them play under him uh, at Norwich as a fan. 
in I think October 2017. And the way they played that night just blew me away. They, they won two nil at Norwich and the football was just, they were playing Champions League football in the championship. I mean, that night they would have beaten, I think most teams because they were so good. And, you know, as I say, I was lucky enough to commentate on their first European game, I think in 39 or 40 years against Crusaders uh, last July. And to have been there and, you know, my club is now on a level that I couldn't have dreamed of when I was a supporter back in the 90s. Uh, I I first went to Molyneux when it was, um, when two sides were condemned. Our stadium was was only, you know, two, two stands were open. So they've come so far and uh, Fosun and Nuno and the players he's saying, you know, to be able to watch Raul Jimenez, um, Juan Moutinho, Ruben Neves, Adama Traore. I mean, these players are at the top of their game. And, you know, having watched Wolves with some pretty mediocre teams and some pretty mediocre players uh, down the years, to have these players playing for my team now, it's unbelievable. And, you hope this can be sustained and we can push on and maybe become a, a team to push for the top four. But right now, every Wolves fan I, I know and, and I'm sure is just living the dream and kind of riding this wave because right now it's just a great time to be a Wolves fan. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another, as we sort of alluded to earlier, a great win on Sunday against Arsenal as well that puts them in sixth place, I think. So really good really good season for them and a really good period as well. Um, as, uh, as someone who writes a lot about German football uh, when they're not studying at university, I would be remiss not to ask you about how the season, um, how you perceive the season so far, because it's been, it's been relatively, I mean, we, we all expect Bayern to finish sort, sort of at the top, but sort of for me, I guess, the bit, I guess, from tier two down to the, you know, the 13th, 14th place team, it doesn't seem like to be a lot of difference. And obviously, you know, this weekend, Dortmund losing to Cologne and um, I uh, struggle to think of it. I mean, Leverkusen drawing to Hertha as well. It's, I mean, it's been, it's been an interesting season for me as, as someone who, you know, has uh, rights and loves watching the Bundesliga, probably more so than Premier League. So what's your, your opinion and what's your perception been of the season so far? Because it's been, it's been an interesting one for sure. Yeah, I think with Dortmund, you kind of wish they'd find that that real kind of um, stability to challenge Bayern more often yeah. because, you know, that, that game against Köln at the weekend, a 2-1-home defeat, that was typical of, of Dortmund under Lucien Favre. Yes. Uh, well, one week, they'll, they'll blow a team away and be phenomenal. The next week, they'll play like that and get beaten 2-1 at home by a team who um, were in the relegation places or certainly down towards the bottom. Um, and yeah, I think it's been Bayern look, again, super strong. Um, went away to, to Stuttgart the weekend and won 3-1 with relative ease. They haven't lost a game this calendar year. Um, and we know Bayern set the bar. Lewandowski is, for me, on fire. Such a shame that there was no um, Ballon d'Or this year because I thought yes. he was an absolute shoe-in to get that and kind yeah. of break the the kind of Ronaldo and the, the Lionel Messi hold of that um, award. But um, I think certainly Bayern are great to watch. Um I just wish as someone who loves the Bundesliga and works on the Bundesliga that we got closer title races. But I think you look beyond that and there is lots to enjoy around the league. Certainly the push for the, for the, the top four for the Champions League, the relegation battle. Um, I think certainly this season, Gladbach are a team to watch. We've seen them in the, the Champions League be phenomenal um, against teams like Inter Milan. They've blown Shakhtar Donetsk away twice. Um, Marco Rosa has, has a great way of playing some you look at the players they've got there uh, Marcus Turam, Alassane Player 
Florian Neuhaus. They're a great team to watch and I kind of hope they, they don't have their team cherry-picked at the end of this season by other bigger clubs because I think Gladbach are building something quite special there at the moment. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Bayer Leverkusen. You look at uh, Leon Bailey's resurgence this season, how they've done well to almost kind of absorb the loss of Kai Havertz. And then you've got the rise of Leipzig as well. That keeps on continuing. Again, having lost Timo Werner, they still look really, really strong um, this season with Julian Nagelsmann. So, you know, there is more to this league than there is just Bayern. So yes. I think people who, who who dismiss it as a league where it's a one-horse race, yes, at the moment, Bayern are dominant. But around the league, as I say, there are much more stories and much more to enjoy if you look, if you kind of know where to look in the Bundesliga. So, yeah, at the weekend, I've got um, Köln versus Wolfsburg, which, you know, oh. is, is an interesting game. Um, yeah. So it's those little stories away from Bayern. I think, which people need to look for and uh, then you kind of enjoy the Bundesliga even more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got yeah a goal shy, a normally goal shy Wolfsburg who put five in on the weekend. So yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a league that you know it it continues to surprise and and uh, certainly you mentioned you got Hoffenheim on Thursday. That's going to be an interesting one as well with obviously their COVID cases as well. Their the outbreak that they recently had at the club as well. Um, I know um, I don't have much time and you left, but I would you know to kind of bring this conversation full circle, obviously, um, do you have any advice for aspiring commentators? I know you've sort of mentioned them along the way, but um, are there any that, you know, key ones that people should know? And obviously, and, you know, obviously as a reflection of your own experiences as well, kind of the lessons you've learned along this journey as well. Yeah, I think the big one for me is be yourself. People don't want to hire, you know, a clone of Guy Mowbray or Martin Tyler or Jackie Oatley, um, they they want someone different, um, someone who is themselves, someone who brings something to the table that they don't already have on their roster. So that's what I'd say is is don't be afraid to be yourself. Don't obviously, as I say, I, I learned from from Steve Bauer. So don't be afraid to learn and and be as I say a sponge and soak things up. But what I would say is don't copy, don't try and and be the next Martin Tyler because you'll just fail because there's only one Martin Tyler and there's only one Peter Drury. There's only one Guy Mowbray. There's only one whoever. Um, so try and be yourself and bring your own star to the table and just enjoy the job. Never let this job become a chore. Um, never complain on air. Um, never make it sound like this isn't the best job in the world because believe me, it absolutely is. Um, being paid to watch football it doesn't get any better than that, really. Maybe yes. you playing, playing the game yourself. So, you know, never moan about it. Never. And also never take it for granted because, as I say, you just one bad game away from not working again. So, yeah, enjoy it. Appreciate it. And, um, yeah, just be yourself. Wise, wise words indeed. Um, Dan, it's been a pleasure. Um Thank you so much. As someone who's obviously listened listened to you, especially with the Bundesliga, it's been it's been an absolute honour, and I've uh, really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you so much. That's great, Josh. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, uh, guys. Uh, I mean, just keep an eye on our YouTube channel and uh, for our next sort of broadcasts. Uh, thank you for watching and. Uh